can I just look at you for a moment? So I, I see some faces that we recognize. Uh, Tammy was meeting with um, Louise a bit earlier, I think from the connection with the Family Support Center years ago. Uh, the church we planted, Dickens Heath Church, many years ago was with a partnership with um, Yardley Wood Baptist Church and Shirley Baptist Church. And uh, being able to come back and be with you, I'm just really, really happy. I've been looking forward to this since January when I was asked and I said, can you, can you send me the, my assignment? And so I've, I've actually been thinking and looking at this 1 Peter 4 in various ways since January. And hopefully uh, what comes across will be really good. So if you want to just jot down my phone number and if any questions come up, if you want to take a photograph with your phone right now, I give you permission. If none of you is going to take a picture of that right now, I'll be really disappointed <laughs> because that means you're not going to ask any questions later on. Okay, there you go. So I don't know how this clicker is going to work. So John, uh, can you keep up? Right. There we go. So uh, just to kind of get started, uh, I'm going to read the passage again because repetition when we come to passages like this are, are actually really good for us. When we do a discovery group or discovery Bible study, we actually read over a passage at least twice, and then we get uh, the group to retell the passage in their own words. Before we ever talk about the meaning, and that's just a very basic discipleship practice, and often we look at a passage like this and we can just go straight into it, and uh, I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I will say, this much, and just thinking about this, that there's other complementary passages that are similar to this 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 11. And if we have time, and I'm terrible at keeping time when I speak, uh, if we have time, we might look at one or two very briefly a little later on. But you can see a couple of passages there, and you might think, well, what does the Luke passage have to do with this? Well, you'll have to go look at the Luke passage and these other two passages, and then read 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11 again, and kind of get that sense. All right. A couple of things to say about this before we reread the passage. And not only are there other passages besides 1 Peter 4, 11 that kind of restate what Peter is saying here, but even within the letter itself, and I had this plan, I was going to go back and listen to the, the sermons from the last few weeks to see what other people said, but, you know, life takes over, doesn't it? But even within the latter, the themes that we see in 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11 are repeated uh, several times. So 1, 6, where uh, Peter talks about the sufferings and the trials that we endure, uh, there's there's a statement about that, and it's forerunner to this uh, chapter 4. He speaks of the sufferings of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 11. He, he talks in verse 13 of chapter 1 that you should prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, which is in chapter 4, he just restates in a different way. There is this sense of uh, 122 about purifying yourselves by obeying the truth. There's this theme about obedience and about what truth is and who truth is that gets repeated. The 124 about, um, about people are like grass. We're like flowers that fade away. The sense that life is short and anything of our accomplishments will fade away and all that will stand is the word of God, about Jesus, the living word. 
uh, this encouragement in chapter 2 about rid yourselves of malice. 2.11, that we're aliens, that we're foreigners in this land. Again, that word repeats a few times. And this encouragement to stain from those things which wage war against our soul, which Peter gets kind of almost explicit in chapter 4. And then chapter 3, about uh, living in harmony with one another. Do you remember talking or hearing or thinking about these things the last few weeks? Yeah? Okay. And then towards the end of chapter 3, that in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Again, something about obedience, about lordship, about connection with Jesus, and about the suffering of Jesus in the end of chapter 3 before we get into chapter 4. And so, let's read, let's read this again. All right? I'll step back so you can see this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, <laughs> but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Okay, imagine contemporary congregation. Peter speaking to you. These are the kinds of things you used to do in this group, right? Living debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So, as I look at a passage like, ooh, sorry. <laughs> as, I, as I look at a passage like this, and I think about some of the things that we're up to, and what might be helpful to you, and what's helpful to me, certainly, is to think about some definitions and some contextual comments. So, first of all, is this word disciple, which is another way of saying apprentice. We are called to be in an apprenticeship to Jesus. We're invited to follow him. And that's a person who's apprentice to Jesus, becoming more like him in character and actions. So it's both the inside and the outside, that what you see is actually mirrored or flows from who you are. And, and as I think about um, this passage, and about Peter particularly, I couldn't help but think about the story of Peter's life. 
what a journey Peter has been on. In, in Luke's gospel, the first time we see him is when he's fishing. Uh, Jesus says to him, I, I want to use your boat, and I'm going to do some teaching. And he's teaching from just off the shore. And, uh, and then he says to Peter, who's an experienced fisherman, uh, let's go out and throw your net out. And they catch so many fish, bring it in, that Peter is touched deeply. Something spiritual happens. And in that being touched spiritually, uh, he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, you're now going to become fishers of men. And that's the, that's the first account. And so this, this disciple who's not writing this letter to the followers of Jesus in all of Turkey started as a simple, humble fisherman. And you think about the other stories like um, Matthew 16 when Jesus says, so I hear some people talking about who I am, but I want to know who do you think I am? Well, some people think you're so-and-so, some people think you're so-and-so, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter that speaks up and says, well, you are the Christ. You're the promised Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. I'm going to build a church on you, Peter. And then in the next breath, Jesus starts talking about how he's headed to the cross. And you know what happens next. Peter says, stop talking that way, Jesus. That, that's, not, that's not my vision for what you're going to do. And Jesus says, get behind me. You're not connected with what God intends. You're not connected with God's will in this. I am. And then there's uh, the, in, chap- in Mark chapter 9, this account where uh, Jesus goes up to the mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, and appears with Elijah and Moses, and Peter says, hmm, you know, it's great that Moses and Elijah from, you know, centuries back are in appearance right here with Jesus. Let's build a shelter. And you think, what's, what's on his mind? What is he thinking about? And, uh, and the voice comes from the cloud and just shuts everything down and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. There's the story in Matthew 26 when they've had the, this gathering over the Passover and within minutes, uh, Jesus is saying, listen, they're going to knock me down, the shepherd, and you're all going to scatter. And Peter says, not me. You can hear him thumping his chest. Even if all others do, not me. And then within a few hours, he's denied Jesus three times. So just tracking with this, this story, this narrative, this, this life, this adventure that Peter has had, and, uh, and the restoration in John chapter 1, 21, when uh, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Just after catching a bunch of fish. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? And this restoration. And of course, in the, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, again, Peter who was a simple fisherman, describes what it is that God is doing in the birth of the church. And then Acts chapter 4, after he's healed a, a, a blind, uh, a beggar man, uh, and the Jewish leaders having a go at him, and they make the observation that 
Jane, uh, that Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men who'd what? Been with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I think about the life of Peter as a disciple, as an apprentice, as someone who's called into relationship with Jesus, who spent all this time with Jesus and didn't get it right a lot of the time, that encourages me in my discipleship. I've always thought about myself as a bit of a plodder. I don't learn things very fast, but I plod and I keep going on. And that encourages me when I think about Peter and his story. And I think you should be encouraged as you think about your discipleship, your apprenticeship to Jesus. Then there's this theme about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Dallas Willard does a great job of describing this as a range of God's effective will. And, and in this passage and other passages, these, these words about obedience, not the kind of word that is welcome in our postmodern, post-Christian, post-secular society with all the urban setting that we're in. But yet, it's something about uh, being in relationship has to do with being obedient. You'll see the words about obedience in 1 Peter chapter 1. You see again in a uh, second time in that same chapter, a third time, uh, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 14, that as obedient children, he says, purify yourselves by obeying the truth. And truth is this person of Jesus. Not just this conceptual idea, but the person of Jesus. A third theme that I see is the whole idea of Missio Dei. About God's initiative to restore his human creation into right relationship with himself and right relationship with others. In this 1 Peter chapter 4, it's about living the kind of life but living that kind of life that flows from who you are, identity in Jesus, that uh, demonstrates this partnership with God who initiated the mission. Now, sometimes we in the church or sometimes we as followers of Jesus think we need to invent things to do for God. But this is an invitation. God is the one on mission and we join him. And it's all about right relationships with God and with each other. There's, there's something here about uh, spiritual disciplines. And again, we don't have time to talk about all of these things, but spiritual disciplines are those kinds of ways or rhythms or patterns or practices that help us connect with Jesus and the mission that he was called to that we cannot do by direct effort. So things about prayer, solitude, worship, all these sorts of things are means becoming the kind of person that is our being who does, that is doing, what Jesus does, but it's by indirect effort. Has anybody ever said to you, don't think about football during the worship service or something similar like that? (laughs) And what happens? All you can think of is football. Oh, oh, the, the latest thing. Oh, Gary Lineker. Uh, you know, all the stuff going on with government and BBC. And it's like, you know, suddenly, don't think about that. But you think about it, don't you? So how do I become more connected with Jesus? Well, uh, there's 
really a kind of reference here about those kinds of practices or patterns that help me become the kind of person uh, that does without thinking the things that Jesus does because they're, they come from inside. They come from who we are. And then spiritual gifts, just to say that a bit differently, is an endowment of God's enabling power, that is grace. God's enabling power, another word for the word grace, is God's enabling power. It's, it's what God provides for us in our discipleship. And it's to assist the work of God in another person or community. So when, when Peter is making reference to these to the end, end of the passage, he's actually saying, listen, so there's something going on here where you are benefiting Yes, yourself, but it's indirectly because you're serving others. You're actually seeing God. You're partnering with God's activity in another person in their life. Again, there's not enough time to really go through all that. Uh, but I think this, oh, you know, I've just noticed there's a screen right here. <laughs> the deepest motive for mission. Uh, Leslie Newbigin actually grew up, uh, actually was engaged in ministry in his later part of his life, right in the area where we live, near Winston Green. And he was a missionary that uh, worked in India for, I think it was around 30 years. And he came back um, late 70s, early 80s to the UK. And he said, you know what, we need to, the church needs to think differently about its own society. We need to think with missionary eyes. And so he wrote this um, amongst one of his books. The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is, on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. Now, I, th I think about Jesus' very first words of proclamation, John the Baptist's very first words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That something of God's rule and reign is available in the here and now. And when we as followers of Jesus follow him where he goes, where he's working, it's, it's like being a pioneer. Uh, we're, we're simply following. We want to be with him where he is. And when he's at work in the life of another person, what better place to be there? Because it's this, it's this um, tension, this, this, this warfare where the evil one has claimed a territory that does not belong to him. And Jesus is at work reclaiming that in the very lives of the people around us. Another way of saying this is a disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. So I want you to be thinking about the context of relationships that you're already in. Not thinking about somewhere's new, but where is the usurped dominion of the evil one at work in the lives of your circle of friendships in your workplace where is Jesus at work and how are you joining him so I, I said something about um, complimentary passages and uh, I, I like making the connections with the parts where it says it's something something differently and uh, Hebrews 12 is one of my very favorites here if you remember, it starts by, by saying, having just come on Hebrews 11, which sometimes is called the Great Hall of Faith, right? So it's a description of all these people from the Old Testament who, who uh, obediently and lovingly followed 
God in their lives, but didn't receive the promise that had been made. And Hebrews 12 then just starts out by saying, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and the perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, that is, the joy of seeing us in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other, endured the cross, despising its shame. And then it goes on to say, listen, just like Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 1, but in a slightly different way, endure hardship as discipline. Anybody here going through difficult circumstances? Anyone here had that kind of situation where you're trying to live as a follower of Jesus in the workplace and it's just really, really hard? Or you're trying to bring a message of good news into a certain relationship and the person is just rejecting you. And not only that, they, they are making fun of you. I, uh, I, I work in a couple of different things where I'm with lots of people who don't think as Christians in any way, shape, or form. One of the things I do as a sport and as a hobby is I referee ice hockey matches. And being in the referee's room gives me great opportunities to build relationships. But you know what? There are, there are guys and girls who think very differently about the world. And they, they engage in some of these practices that Peter talks about and are happy with that. Others aren't. Um, maybe you're in a locker room with other athletes and you get the locker room language. Or maybe uh, you're relating to young people who are doing the clubbing culture kind of thing and you think, you know, what's up with that? But what work is Jesus doing in that person that he's calling you to join? Endure hardship as discipline, uh, right of Hebrews says, which is another way of what Peter is saying. Listen, set, prepare your mind. Set your minds to do what is right. It's, it's a spiritual battle. Romans 15 says much the same as 1 Peter 4, um, Paul in a different kind of way. But for me, just to kind of bring it back down into the very basic uh, message, I think he, Romans 15, 7 says what Peter's trying to say. What does Peter say? He says, the end of all things is near. Another way of saying life is short. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I think uh, Romans 15, 7, if you read that, it says uh, in NIV, accept one another just as Jesus accepted you. And this is the God's praise. Now, I don't know about you, but accepted in common English it's kind of a weak word nowadays. Uh, a better way to say it is embrace one another just as Jesus embraced you. This is to God's glory. 
The thing, the thing about embraces is that they're not accidental. They, they can become uh, something of comfort. Tammy and I hug each other all the time. After 40 years, almost 40 years of being married, uh, embracing comes very naturally to us. And if there isn't a day when we haven't embraced uh, several times, then something isn't right. But at the beginning of any kind of relationship, and particularly when we are being the body of Christ amongst the relationships of which we're a part, it is an intentional decision, and it's all in. Every part of your being comes into play when you embrace somebody. And I like what uh, Ben Sternke has said. He said, it would seem that if we're going to build an actual community amongst those we lead, we're going to have to shift from relying on a convenient affinity with one another to cultivated affection for one another. Now, it speaks of intentionality. It speaks of intentionality. So uh, just a couple of things and then a story, really. When it comes to being community or being church together, far too often we look at it as an institution where when we're engaging with other people, we, we tend to have this kind of view that a person has to behave in a certain way, then they have to believe in a certain way before they can belong. And the fact is, this is how many churches, churches, too many churches work as an institution. And we need to put a shift on this. Uh, the whole journey of discipleship that Peter's experience is one of being embraced by Jesus and being transformed over a long period of time into the kind of person who does the things Jesus does without having a second thought. It just flows out of them. It flows out of Peter. And those people who have had good discipleship and have matured in that relationship over a long time with Jesus do the kinds of things Jesus does without a second thought. But it starts with um, belonging first. It starts with the embrace first. And then over a period of time, something else gets caught along the way. Who is God? Who is God the Father? Who is Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? All these things uh, get passed on. What does it mean to be right with God? What does it mean to be right with people? These flow over a period of time. And I, I, I guess what I want to do is just kind of sum it up in a story. Uh, about, uh, give you a little context first. Um, so beginning of lockdown, uh, we actually were able to start an online, two online alpha courses. And they came from a discipleship group that we started that was sort of online, offline, uh, occasional in-person in sorts of things. And when lockdown hit, we, we went full-on online, just like everybody else did. And we had these two alpha courses. And, uh, and from that alpha course, we ended up meeting um, our friend. I'm not using names here. Uh, 
only for the second time in baptizing her in August of 2021, uh, post-Alpha course. Uh, there was another young man on the Alpha course with us, um, thinking about all these things, about who Jesus is. But online, we were in relationship, and not just us, our discipleship group, our online discipleship group, in relationship with this young man. And as we came out of lockdown, uh, he started to have some mental health issues. And um, uh, we spent more time with him in person. And in October last year, we, we baptized him. Still struggling with some mental health issues. Five weeks ago, he took his life. It was a Friday morning. And one of the things that we did coming out of lockdown is uh, we started what we called an online, uh, a discovery breakfast group. And in this discovery breakfast group, uh, we asked a couple of friends to join us. Uh, one couple, uh, followers of Jesus, the other kind of exploring it, uh, not really understanding it, but, but being part of this group with us where this whole sense of belonging, this embrace is being experienced. And uh, so this Sunday morning, we're in our discovery group breakfast, and we're having a conversation about what has happened on the Friday with our friend. And as we were talking about uh, just the idea of being present with somebody, just think about the incarnation of how, how Jesus humbled himself to be present with us, to embrace us, no matter what our background and our, all the things we've done, to embrace us. Uh, and, and our friends in the Discovery Breakfast, Discovery Group Breakfast, uh, one, the, the couple, uh, they discovered about 14 months before that their, one of their children had been self-harming. And they were devastated by that. And they were full on trying to help their, their, their child. And the experience of being part of the group helped them navigate that. And then our other friend, uh, he says, you know what? Uh, there was a time some years ago where I bought a rope and I climbed up a tree. I knotted it up and jumped off, and the rope broke, and he lived, and now he's part of our discovery group. And in my own sadness and trying to think through all of this, I asked the question, I said, what do you think Jesus would say to the family of our friends? And our friend said, put the kettle on. most profound theological words I heard that that day and in a long time. When it comes to thinking about what Peter's saying here, love each other deeply. It covers a multitude of sins. Embrace one another just as Jesus embraced you 
It introduces a kind of radical hospitality. Do you hear that? A radical hospitality. I think that's what Peter says. Show hospitality and do it without grumbling because you have an opportunity to embrace somebody, to give them a sense of belonging, a sense of, of, of being cared for deeply, and especially when their life circumstances are messed up. Last little thing. If, you're not, if we're not the church in its simplest form, then we cannot be the church in a more complex form. Plenty of people will walk into churches this weekend and not be disciples, not be loved, not even known. They will not experience fellowship and they will not engage in mission. They'll not be touched by the bone-chilling authority nor the heart-stopping love of Jesus. You know, worship services with all the technology and everything else, they're great. Glad, glad to have it all. But there's something else more deep that needs to happen in relationship. So, questions for you. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? As, as you've heard this, as you've been reading through 1 Peter, and particularly this chapter, the other passages I've referenced, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And as you think about that, where is the Holy Spirit at work in others already? How do I join the Holy Spirit in the work he's doing in that person or family? Paul, I'm hoping that you'll put this maybe in the WhatsApp group for folks. And the action steps, pray, embrace, disciple. What might that look like? So suggestion. Take some time. Identify amongst your circle of friendships and relationships five people. Pray intentionally over a period of time asking the Holy Spirit, how are you at work in this person's life? Holy Spirit, how can I join you in the work you're doing in this person's life? Show some radical hospitality. Invite them to your home. Have a cup of coffee with them. Spend some time with them over a period of time. Ask the Holy Spirit, Do you want me to carry on doing this with this person? Yes. No. After six months, nothing clear from the Holy Spirit. Pick somebody new. With that list of five. I'm suggesting this is something just really practical and easy and simple to do. And if you do this as a church family and make it a regular part of your conversations when you're in your home groups or Bible studies or what have you, then you're also praying for each other and the activity that is happening in your life and in that person's life. So, Holy Spirit, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the amazing work you did in Peter that brought him to the place of writing these words. Thank you for the amazing work you're doing in us. to shape us more into the person of Jesus.
Have mercy on us so we connect with what you're doing in the lives of others who are far from you. As we have felt your embrace, Jesus, give us courage to embrace others so it all goes up in praise to you. In your mercy, please hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you.